Following their huge success with their revamps of the old Universal movies, Dracula and Frankenstein, it was inevitable that Hammer would tackle the mummy next. I'm Stephen Archibald, and welcome to my movie podcast. Egypt, 4,000 years ago. A land of strange rituals and savage cruelty. Many of their secrets are still hidden from the eyes of 20th century man. Secrets that protect their dead. Supernatural powers that once released can live again in our modern world. The Mummy, The Living Dead, bringing terror and death across 4,000 years. He was a high priest of the great god Karnak, until one night he attempted the ultimate in blasphemy. He was condemned to guard forever the princess he had loved and protect her from intruders. Hello, good listener, and welcome to my podcast, They Came From Within, Cult Movie Reviews. Bringing the past to life. The Mummy, 1959. Universal International were left astounded by just how well Hammer's adaptations of Frankenstein and Dracula turned out, both artistically and commercially. So much so, they refrained from breathing down their necks when it came to such thorny issues as copyright. In fact, Universal Supremo, Al Daff, was happy to make a deal with Hammer's executive producer, Michael Carreras. Daff granted him access to the remake rights of Universal's monster movies. The three titles Hammer zeroed in on were The Mummy, The Phantom of the Opera, and The Invisible Man. The first two were also resurrected in beautiful colour. However, it's a crying shame they never got round to making their version of H.G. Wells' classic tale. Knowing they were onto a winning formula, the company once again selected Messrs. Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee to star in their take on The Mummy. And, once more, they hired the excellent Terence Fisher to helm the movie. The movie opens in Egypt in the year 1895. Peter Cushing stars as the young archaeologist John Banning, who, along with his father Stephen and his uncle Joseph, discover the resting place of the ancient princess Ananka. Ignoring the warnings of a local man called Mamet Akir, the excavation goes ahead. However, whilst alone at the burial site, Stephen makes the grave mistake of reading aloud from the Scroll of Life, thereby releasing the mummified form of Ananka's high priest Karis from his walled-in resting place. Karis is of course played by the towering Christopher Lee. This reanimated entity robs Stephen of his sanity before he disappears from the scene. In England three years later, Mehmet manipulates Karis into carrying out acts of revenge. 
Unequivocally, he wants John, Stephen and Joseph put to death. The question is, can these mere mortals outwit the mummy's superhuman power and considerable agility? One of the great innovations the scriptwriter Jimmy Sangster brought to this movie was to reimagine the mummy's movements and coordination. Unlike, say, Boris Karloff's slow-moving, shambling mummy from the 1932 picture, Christopher Lee's creature is a fast-moving killing machine. In the manner of Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees, the type who can crash through windows and doors with great ease. It should also be pointed out that the 1959 Mummy movie is built around key plot elements lifted from no less than three Universal Mummy movies. Namely, The Mummy from 1932, The Mummy's Tomb from 1942, and The Mummy's Ghost from 1944. Taking revenge on the archaeologists, occurs in The Mummy's Tomb, and the reincarnation of Princess Ananka features in The Mummy's Ghost. Having not seen this movie for quite a number of years, I'd forgotten that the beautiful Yvonne Furneaux was in it. She portrays John Banning's courageous, fiercely loyal wife, Isabel. I'd already mentioned her in my recent Twins of Evil podcast, as an actress who could have starred alongside the similar-looking Kato Mara, prior to the Collinson twins being chosen for the central roles. Here, she plays a woman who bears a striking resemblance to Karis's beloved Ananka, although the reincarnation aspect is downplayed in this version of the tale. this thy servant on his appointed task. Go now, go and destroy those who desecrated the tomb of our princess. Those unbelievers who gazed upon her long dead face. Go and let the spirit of Karnak, our God, go with you. As expected, both Cushing and Lee gave exceptional performances. And, as with the previous two outings, it's Lee's performance which draws the most admiration. For yet again, he had to be expressive behind heavy layers of makeup. Apart from in the flashback scenes, set in ancient Egypt, we only get to see Christopher's eyes. And yet, he conveys so much emotion through them as well as through the skilful way in which he moves his body. And, once more, Lee makes you feel a certain amount of sympathy for the so-called monster. Furthermore, Christopher Lee performed most of his own stunts, including crashing through objects and exiting and entering the artificial swamp. The stuntman Eddie Powell was required 
on the odd occasion, such as for the tricky stunt of being shot at close range by John Banning. The Mummy is a lush, good-looking film. Its images were deftly captured by the cinematographer Jack Asher, using vibrant Eastman colour processed with Technicolor. The remastered DVD, which I bought some years ago, is really something to behold. Unlike its predecessors, The Curse of Frankenstein and Dracula, The Mummy received largely positive reviews from the critics of the time. The Kinematograph Weekly, from the 13th of August 1959, claimed the movie to be extremely well-mounted and acted. The Evening Standard, dated the 9th of September 1959, stated, Excellently mounted, well acted, highly entertaining. Whereas The Observer, from September the 27th of that year, said, Well tried ingredients, plus an Egyptological know-how. This last point was correct, seeing as the Egyptologist Andrew Lowe worked on the movie as a technical advisor. The movie's rich, melodic score wasn't composed by James Bernard on this occasion. The composer was Frank Reitzenstein. However, despite remaining largely unknown to most of us Hammer fans, Reitzenstein received high praise from the great Christopher Lee himself. In his notes for the 1999 CD release of The Mummy Score, Lee wrote, I think the music of The Mummy is greatly superior to all the other music in any other Hammer film. Short between the February and April of 1959, The Mummy went on general release in the UK on the 23rd of October 1959. Anthony Hines produced it for Hammer and Rank and Universal International served as distributors. I'm Stephen Archibald and I really appreciate you listening to my podcast They Came From Within Cult Movie Reviews If you'd like to send me constructive comments or requests you can reach me at my email address archibaldstephen29 at gmail.com and I would be more than happy for you to follow me or subscribe cheers again enjoy your cinema and bye-bye for now go and destroy those who desecrated the tomb of our princess he who robs the graves of Egypt dies Who robs the graves of Egypt dies.